Vivian rose. His palm was calloused, and a few moments later when she raised her hand to brush some irritation out of her eye, she smelt tobacco and earth overlaying fig. The richness of the scent made her linger over it until she saw the German looking at her with a knowing expression she didn't like. Briskly she lowered her hand and rubbed it on her skirt, all the while wondering how she would ever rest her eyes in this place with so much to see. She woke up early the next morning, still wearing clothes from the day before. She had done little the previous afternoon beyond measure and sketch the columns of one of the buildings. A temple, an andron, a treasury. But her muscles ached from the walk up the mountain and the half-delirious scrambling up and down the terraces before Tassin Bay had instructed her to take her sketchbook and make herself useful. By dinner time, it had been all she could do to place her food in her mouth and chew while conversation buzzed around her, good-natured about her inability to participate. She arose from her camp bed and changed her clothes quietly without disturbing the two German women in the tent before stepping out into the hour between darkness and light. There was almost a chill in the air, but not quite, as she walked among the ruins, both hands held out to touch every block, every column she passed. A sharp yip, cut through the silence. Looking around for Alice, she found Tassin Bay instead, sitting on the large rock with a fissure running through it, the split rock of Zeus, holding up a mug to her in greeting. Alice was dispatched to guide her up through trees and broken steps, and a few minutes later she was drinking hot tea from the cap of a thermos, watching the sun rise over the ancient land of Carrier. So... That's what a rosy-fingered dawn looks like. You must write and tell your father that. He'll be pleased. Oh, I'm going to write and tell him everything. Her father, a man without sons, had turned his regret at that lack into a determination to make his daughter rise above all others of her sex. A compact early agreed on between them that she would be son and daughter both, female in manners but male in intellect. Taking upon himself the training of her mind, he had read Homer with her in her childhood, took vast pleasure in her endless questioning of Tazin Bey about the life of an archaeologist every time the Turk came to visit, and championed her right to study history and Egyptology at UCL, despite his wife's objections. Even so, Viv had barely allowed herself to believe he was being serious when he'd asked her one morning, as if inquiring if she'd like a drive through the park if she'd be interested in joining Tassin Bay at a dig in Labrunda. Outrageous, Mrs. Spencer had said, slapping a napkin onto the polished wood of the breakfast table. Did he want his daughter running up the pyramids in her bloomers like Mrs. Flinders Petrie? Did he have no thought for her marital prospects? Father and daughter had shared the smile of conspirators across the breakfast table before Viv rose from her chair to throw her arms around Dr. Spencer's neck. She had been more disappointed than she'd ever revealed during her just-concluded university years when he'd said no. She would not be among the students who Flinders Petrie took to Egypt over the summer and assumed that meant all future digs were out of the question too, as long as she was unmarried and under his roof. But there he was, pushing aside his plate, showing her the letter from Tassim Bey and saying, of course, she mustn't miss such an opportunity and his old friend could be trusted to ensure all proprieties were observed, which was more than could be said for Flinders Petrie, with that madcap wife of his, and how he wished he could set aside the responsibilities of his life and join them.
He's very proud of you, the Turk said, turning his body slightly towards her on the rock. I know, but I haven't given him any reason to be proud, not yet. No? You don't think he should be proud of your courage? Courage? That's something I certainly don't have. You remember my friend Mary? She's become one of those militant suffragettes, I regret to say. But even though she's completely wrong, I see her facing prison and force-feeding, and I recognize courage. But it isn't there when I look in the mirror. It takes considerable courage to come to an unknown part of the world, away from everything you've ever known. This isn't courage. You're here. She felt herself blush as she said the words, which had more heat in them, spoken aloud, than she'd anticipated. All she meant was that she wasn't away from everything she'd ever known, when in his familiar company. He and her father had tumbled into an unexpected friendship as young men who met on a train in France, and there had scarcely been a year she could remember when...